Grant, come sit here. So, good morning again, everyone. So, today, then, this morning, we'll speak a little bit on Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's Guru Vastakam. And as I complete the lecture, then I'll give the Arinam initiation to, to Grant. And as I mentioned, we've been doing this some time now over the years. And um, this year we come to the seventh verse of his Astakam. Astakam, of course, means eight verses. So this is the seventh of Vishwanath. These are famous uh, prayers glorifying the Guru, describing the qualities of the Guru. Prayer Within the context of the Astakam, we have prayers describing the inner life uh, reality and the external corresponding activities and so on and so forth. And um, the previous year, the sixth verse, we discussed, described the very internal notion of Lila Seva on the part of the Guru. And this year, the seventh verse alludes to that as well, speaks to that as well, along with a more general understanding of the Guru. Two kind of impressions derived from the Guru that guide the disciple, the student, in progressive stages of spiritual life. The verse goes like this, Saksha dharitena samastha shastra uttastata Kintu pravorya priyayevatasya vande guru si charanana vindam. So Vishwana Chakvati Thakur says, first of all, gives the first impression in the first line. And in the general sense, the second line serves to qualify that. Sakshad haditvena. Haditvena. Hadi means Bhagwan, God. It's... Uh, one of the favorite names for Krishna in the Braj Lila, in the pastoral cowherd Lila. Hari, who means to, to steal, take away, and he has stolen their hearts. Hari. So, Sakshad Hari. It's significant that he has used the word Hari here, that has a general sense. But if we study the prayers, as we have been, we see they're speaking about, uh, they're coming from a Ragmar guru, and he's seeing his guru in relation to the Ragmar. And so Hari here uh, doesn't speak of, uh, of Vishnu as much as it speaks of Krishna, the heart stealer. Pujapachitamars used to like to say that we say Harinam. You may have heard the term. Does he doing Harinam? Does he take Harinam? So... Nam means name and Hari means Hari. Like today we'll give the Nam Diksha, Nam Hari Nam we call it, initiation. So get blessing the student to chant the name of Hari. Hari is is the uh, is uh, also this name is also found in the Mahamantra. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, 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 Hari, 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 Ram, Hari, Ram, 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 Hari, Hari. Hari means the vocative of Hari. This is one understanding of it. The vocative case means kind of an, an, an out, outpouring, exclamation, O Hari, O Krishna, O Ram. So, Sakshad Hari. Sakshad means directly. Hari means Krishna. So he says that uh, Sakshad Hari The Guru is, sometimes it's translated directly Krishna. But... If we look carefully, we see Haritvena means like the quality of Hari. Haritvena. So he's of the same quality of Hari. Sakshad Haritvena. So what is the quality of Hari? Sometimes it's thought that, uh, that the uh, ultimate reality must be formless, nameless, 
quality less and so forth. Form we may feel tends to limit, but it could just as well be seen to facilitate as it might limit. This is, for example, if you have a if you have a glass which is a form, then it facilitates the drinking of water. It doesn't limit the activity. So if there's anything to do, <laughs> if there's any movement, a form may facilitate rather than take away. Of course, if there's nothing to do and there's no movement, then that's another thing. Some philosophers like to think of the absolute in such terms, formless, qualityless, and so forth. We also say that that uh, the God it is nirguna, which means without quality. But what we mean by that is without any material quality. The gunas, guna referring here to the modes of nature, sattva-guna, rajaguna, tamaguna, that, that um, have jurisdiction over, our, over the movements of those under the oppression of karma. Guru is not like that. Bhagwan is not like that. Therefore, they are, they are nirguna. But it doesn't mean they have no qualities, no attributes, no form. But no qualities, attributes, or forms like those that, that limit the self and cause a separation between others and so forth, the kind of uh, differences that have us at odds with one another in material existence. I like to always remember, when I would speak about this, I always remember a story that Krishnadas told me about going home and visiting his father once. And uh, he was spending some time with his father, and he made a big sandwich. He put you know, cheese and tomatoes and avocados and all kinds of good things on it. And his father came in and looked at the sandwich and said, aren't you going to put anything on it? Because it didn't have any meat on it, and he was accustomed, if you don't eat meat, you, know, you haven't eaten kind of in, <laughs> in, this, in this culture. That's the main, the main course. So, aren't you going to put anything on it? In other words, he saw that he didn't see there was anything there. It's like the same Christian who would probably open the refrigerator and see only meat and say, oh, there's nothing to eat in the refrigerator. <laughs> Something like that. So, Bhagwan Hari, he has a form and qualities, but they're nothing like the form and qualities of, uh, that we find in material existence that limit us and divide us and so forth. They may be similar in, in, in a way of appearance and the way they are depicted and experienced in meditation by great devotees, but they're categorically different at the same time. Looks can be deceiving. Therefore, there's a wealth of philosophy and theology that uh, pours forth from the hearts and and in and, and mouths of the, of the devotees, without limit, without practically without hesitation for a breath of air, as to the transcendental nature of the form of Bhagwan and qualities and so forth and so on, and likewise, those who are of his own, of his nature, of his kind, of Haritvena, they are of the quality of Hari. Means they are not of the quality of this world. They're moving in a different way. This movement of, of, of the guru, for example, this has been described in Bhagavatam as yadrichaya. It means also luck. It means like good fortune, luck. To luck, there's no, we, don't, we consider there's no law. It just was lucky, something like that. So everything in the world here is moving under a law, the law of karma, the law of, you know, you've sown and so you have to reap. And to get out of that web, so to speak, that we've woven, uh, so once we, what's that go? Oh, what a web we weave when at first we choose to deceive. So the whole affair is a deception in a sense. We've deceived ourselves, identifying as we have with, with the... Uh, the temporal. And from there, then, all the movements have made a huge web that we've woven of deception. So to come out of that, then, 
we have to come in touch with another type of flow, another type of movement, and that is the movement of the devotees. When, Su- when Sukadev, the young 16-year-old naked sage, appeared in the assembly at the bank of the Ganges when the Raj Parikshit, the emperor, was um, had been cursed to die, it's the setting from which the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, arises out of. Uh, he was, he, the king had gone to the banks of the Ganges. He, he knew he had been cursed to die in seven days. So, so many learned people from so many different quarters and schools of thought assembled to give advice what to do at the time of death. But they were all silenced with the appearance of Sukadev, who the Bhagavatam describes as moving of his own will. So good fortune, luck, it means there's no, there's no law to that. We say causeless mercy, we mean the mercy is not something that's causal, that it is, it is within this web of, of karmic action and reaction. It's movement from outside of that, and that is the only way to get out of that web. The hand reaches in and pulls us out. Otherwise, we dig ourselves deeper and attempt to extract ourselves from the mess. After all, what is that mess? What is that karmic web? The very mind that we have, the very intelligence that we have, that if we're thoughtful, we rely on, is all product of this karma. So how will it get us out? It's not a suitable instrument, whether it be physical activity, mental, intellectual exercise, these uh, facilities, these faculties, are a product of this deception. The particular, in other words, the particular disposition that we have, the particular type and quality of intelligence that we have, and the physical stature and so forth, our physical and our psychic makeup, these are all practical manifestations, parabda we call them, parabda karma, the fruits of seeds that we've sown. We are in the midst of that un- unfolding. So to come out from that, we need some, uh, a hand of the Absolute to reach into us and, 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 and pull us out. Not of our own doing. It is our own doing that has put us in this predicament. So when it said good fortune, good luck in Bhagavatam and in all of Gaudiya's scriptures, it refers to the movements of the devotees who are above the realm of exploitation, action and reaction. Their movements then uh, create good fortune for us. They're not cause. There's nothing we can do to cause that. They're moving of their own free will. They're moving under the influence of bhakti, who sees fit to distribute herself through them. So, sakshadhoditvena means that the Guru is of the quality of Hari. So, as Hari is Nirgun, above the modes of nature, above the realm of uh, karma, so the Guru, Sakshad Hari, it means he's one with God. He's directly God. The idea is something like this. Of course, it's, it's qualified. It's qualified in a general sense by the next line. All this is, first of all, this is not just a, my opinion, but all the sacred text, the scriptural canon, uh, emphasize at this point. All the shastra, all the scripture says this throughout. Kintu He's directly Hari. All the scripture says so, but at the same time, he's dear to Hari. So, in a general sense, this second line explains and qualifies the first line by telling us what? That, oh, he's directly God, he's one with God, because he's dear to God. That's why. Just like if I say, Grant and I, we are one. Agni and Eva and I, we are one. You talk to me, you talk to him, you're going to get the same opinion. That doesn't mean that Agni is me, that I'm him, but we are of the same will, we are of the same mind, we are of the same opinion. We are one. When the Kumaras, 
the Kumaras depicted in this in the sacred text were young boys, four young boys, sons of Brahma, and they remained uh, like uh, toddlers in their appearance, and so they they traveled naked, innocent and naked, but they are great um, sages, full of wisdom, and in their mystic travels they approached the the gates of Baikuntha, and the gatekeepers did not let them in. They wanted to get in based on their knowledge. And the gatekeeper said, that's not a qualification to enter here. So they barred them from entering. So there's a big commotion at the gate because the the Kumaras then cursed the gatekeepers because they thought, ha, these people are discriminating. In Gyan, (laughs) there's no discrimination. Hmm? You understand? You say... Vidya Binaya Sampane Brahmani Gobihastini Sunitjaiva Sapake Chapandita Samadarshina. Samadarshina. See equally. Whether as a cow, a dog, a dog eater, a learned Brahman, or an ignorant person, a pundit who has really eyes to see a learned person, a jnani, who has actual knowledge, sees them all equally. He sees souls all in different situations, different different dresses, so to speak. But he relates to them in terms of what they are rather than the dress that they wear. In a practical sense, he may relate to them in terms of the dress that they wear for interaction and so forth, socially and whatnot. But that doesn't rule his vision in how to deal with them, therefore, he has compassion for all souls and so on and so forth. This is the vision of the jnani. It's mentioned in the Gita. This verse I cited is from the Gita. So, to see equally. So these sages were seeing equally and they thought, okay, these people have gates here. That means they don't let any just anybody and everybody in. They don't see equally. This is a kind of a prejudice. I've come into a kind of a bias here. We've come into a bias and this is... Uh, contradicts the spiritual reality, this kind of seeing my land, my house, no trespassing, difference created and so forth. And so they cursed them. And this caused a big commotion then in Bhakuntha and came to Vishnu's attention. Oh, the gatekeepers have been cursed and they wouldn't let the, the sages in and so forth. So it's a long story, but he went there. Vishnu, Narayana. And at the time he said to the Kumaras, he said, Oh, what have I done? I have offended you. How how can I make up for this? And these fellows were very smart, these Kumaras. So when Bhagavan Narayana said, Oh, I have offended you, then they realized, Oh, we've made a great mistake. What is that mistake? That we didn't realize that these that these gatekeepers, from Narayan's point of view, are one with him. All these people behind the gates here of Bhakunta, they Bhagwan Narayan considers them one with him. They are these gatekeepers and I are one. So if they've offended you, then I've offended you. Of course, they were seeing Narayan and they knew well. well this is this is Narayan. He he he's, he, he can't. Uh, offend us. This is who we came to see. So they got a different understanding of the nature of that place and in the nature of a kind of a spiritual discrimination, if you will. It's also said that discrimination is the better part of valor. The well-known English saying. And on the other, there's the other side, of course, discrimination is depicted as a bad thing, right? So the two sides, in bhakti, there's discrimination. One loves Ram, one loves Krishna, and they'll fight over it. And it's be- but it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful and it's charming. There's this famous story of Hanuman. Krishna was uh, uh, with Garuda, his bird carrier, and he sent the carrier, said, go and uh, bring Ram to me, or Hanuman, Hanuman to me. Hanuman was a great, a big monkey devotee of Ram. So Garuda went dutifully on behalf of, of Krishna to bring Hanuman. 
And he said, I'm Garuda, I've come to pick you up on him, and Krishna wants to see you. He said, okay, well, tell him I'll be there in a minute. And Garuda said, no, hop on, I'm going to take you there. You can't go faster than me. He said, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll, I'll get there, I've got something to do. So he thought, what kind of devotee is this? Krishna's asked for him, he sent me personally to get him, and he has uh, got something else to do. So he comes back rather bewildered, he tells the story to Krishna, and Krishna says, oh, well, go over there and tell him that Ram wants to see him. And so he flies back, he says, now, now Ram, Ram wants to see you. And this is the Ishtadevata of Hanuman. So Hanuman says, okay, great. He says, well, hop on, I'll take it. He said, no, no, that's okay, I don't need to hop on. And so Garuda flies away again, bewildered. He's flying back. And as he's flying back to Krishna, Ram is coming back the other way, saying, Hanuman's coming back. Ram, 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 Ram. So they're crossing paths, and Garuda's completely bewildered. And when he got to Krishna, then he got some explanation of the whole thing. He could understand. Ram, when Hanuman had heard that Ram wanted him, he didn't want to delay by taking Garuda, he jumped all the way over there, faster than Garuda could get there. And then he saw Krishna, and Krishna showed himself as Ram, and then he went all the way back, Ram, 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 and bumped into Garuda uh, on his return. So this is a kind of a bias, if you will, but it's above material bias. It's a particular um, flavor or taste uh, of, of bhakti for a particular type of loving service that the Lord manifests in the heart of the devotee to accept service from him in a leela. So all this kind of discrimination in bhakti on a higher level, whether it be Ram be the deity or, or Krishna or as it may be Vishnu or whatnot, so there are different planes of experience for all this. These things, as I've said before, when we go from the form, world of forms and names that are limiting to the formless and then we, we've gone into something big, beyond the smallness of names and forms and so forth. And then when we, the devotees, the Vaishnavas start talking about Vaikuntha and Goloka, it looks, sounds like it's getting small again. But what these Vaikuntha represent, what Goloka represents, these are expanses, greater expanses, not by space alone, but by affection, by love. You follow me? In other words, what they speak about is, is intensification of love for the Godhead in transcendence. And affection and love is more accommodating than merely space, right? As I said before, you could live in the hollow of a tree with someone you loved. If, and you might have to with the economy being the way it is. So <laughs> we have some trees up here. <laughs> so you're all welcome. It's like the Goswamis to live under a different tree every night here. That's for the visitors. So what is really accommodating, what is really spacious then, is love, is affection. And it's fairly obvious that the expanse, if you will, of Brahman, which is a particular manifestation of the Absolute, lacks affection. It's devoid of, of attachment, which passes as affection. That's really kind of a mutual agreement to take from, from one another. Attachment doesn't really allow us to love people. We have to stand back objectively and let the person, as I said the other day, be what they are and, and uh, for, for what they are and so forth. And that's real, real love. So in Brahman, in this manifestation of the absolute, the objective of the jnanis or, or a kind of emptiness of, of the, uh, of the uh, you know, Buddhist sects and so forth, there's an absence of this kind of material bias and attachment and so forth that gets in the way of love, but there's nothing positive in it, as there is in Vaishnavism in terms of love and affection. If there's no one else there, where's, where's the affection? Affection requires two, and two become one in a dynamic sense. Not that they cancel one another out, but a will and a purpose. If we have a pond, probably just like to give the example of a pond, and we throw a stone in the pond, then the ripples will go out concentrically, right? And if we throw another stone and a third stone and a fourth stone, all in different places, then it will all be, you won't get that beautiful symmetry. But if you throw 108 stones, 1,008 stones, all in the exact same place, 
then it will all go out in concentric circles, bigger and bigger and bigger. So Golok, Vaikuntha, these ideas, these realms, if you will, are something like this. They're perfectly centered. They're all centered on Vishnu and different manifestations of Vishnu or Krishna. So there's a variety in a, in, that doesn't compromise uh, the unity. It's a unity of purpose, unity of love. So these domains, they're, they're, they're described as more specifics when we describe them. They sound more like material existence, name, form, and so forth. But again, they're not. So the different nature altogether. Because to arrive there, well, you have to give up all that material attachment and discrimination and so forth. And as I've said before, specificity is is valuable if love is our pursuit. The more we know about a person, the more we can love them. So the Bhagavan feature of the Absolute, this is talking about specifics then, the nature, the swarup of the Absolute. So this information fosters and facilitates love and affection, and that is spacious and accommodating. So these sages, anyway, they understood, wow, just by one word, one statement of Bhagavan Narayan, oh, you've, I've offended you. They, they, they thought, oh, this is the implication of this. These people are different. This is a different place altogether. And so they, of course, wanted to, they considered themselves to have made an offense and so forth. But the point here, what, is, is this, is that the Vaikuntha people, if you will, Vaikuntha Jan, they are one with... Narayana. And the people of Golok, they are one with Krishna. So Sakshadhari Tena. They are the same quality. Krishna will say, He and I are one. Listen to him. Mahaprabhu told Raghunath Das Goswami, Srup Damodar and I are one. Raghunath Das Goswami wanted to hear directly from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he had put him under the care of Srup Damodar. And so he petitioned. Srup Damodar, please ask Mahaprabhu if I could hear some personal instruction from him. So Srup Damodar petitioned him, and Mahaprabhu said, "Tell him, tell him uh, that I put him you under, put him under your care. You and I are one." He said more than that. He said, "Actually, he told Raghunath, if anything, if I tell you this, he I didn't cheat you here. He knows more than me. Hmm? He knows more. That's such as the position of the devotee." And as we study this verse, we see it comes to that. First statement is Sakshadharitena. He's directly God. And why? In what sense? Because he's dear to God. In that sense, he's 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 one. That means that he's he's one in a representational sense, right? He's one that he represents the Godhead. Now, when Hillary Clinton goes to the Middle East or wherever, she's representing Barack Obama, right? She's representing the president. She hasn't got her own campaign anymore. She's one with him. This is the idea. So she's treated with dignity and so forth, representing the nation and the president and, and so on. So in an ambassadorial sense, in a representational sense, he's one. But there are limitations than to this. He's one, as I say, qualified in a representational sense. We are to understand this point very well if we're to go further, if we're to come to be guided by the second impression that this verse speaks of. Uh, a different impression that guides the disciple on a higher level in the course of his or her spiritual progress. This first point, to get to that, one has to understand the first point. Krishna says something similar in Bhagavad Gita. He says that, what is that, Chatushloka, the Gita, first verse, he says, Aham sarvasya prabhavo matha sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajante maam bhava sumanvita. He said, Aham sarvasya prabhavo matha sarvam pravartate. Everything comes from me. I'm the source of everything. If you understand this point, then you will invest yourself in me by understanding this point, that there's no better place to put your, to invest your giving capacity. I give everything, he's saying. Everything comes from me. I am the giver. 
I, all, I, I have manifest the world, you, your life, everything is coming from me. I'm the source of everything. So, if you give back to the source, obviously, that you'll be replenished, right? If you move separately from the source, then if, if it was possible, then you can be depleted. It's not possible, we're under the illusion of depletion by trying to move separately. So anyway, he says, understand this. If you understand this point, that I'm the center, I'm the source, then you have one part of the equation of full giving in place. In other words, if you're to give fully and completely of yourself, you have to find a place that can take completely. Well, you may want to give completely to something that's not capable of accepting everything. So then it's a problem. So you have to give without motivation. That's one side. And the other side is you have to give to the right place. It can take. So Krishna says, that's me. I'm the taker. I'm the source. Hmm? Everything comes from me. Buddha bhava samambhita. Raga samambhita. He says, if you understand this about me, then you can worship me in such a way is to, under, to understand me as Swayam Bhagavan in my Leela. He is Swayam Bhagavan in Golok and in Braj in particular. This is, this is Shamsundar Krishna speaking. He's the source of everything. He says, if you understand, therefore, probably you say again, again, Krishna is true Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna is true Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God, and Krishna, the Supreme Personality. You think, why does he keep saying that <laughs> over and over again? In his book, he says, Krishna, the Supreme Person. We got that, okay? He keeps saying it over again. It's, a, it's actually a mantra in Sanskrit. It's Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. It's the, Jiva Goswami says, it's the key, the sutra, the key sutra to open the mystery of the, of the truth of the Bhagavatam. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. He's giving it out again. It's Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God. Krishna, he means Krishna, the, the Swayam Bhagavan, the source of all manifestations of God at what to speak of everything else. So when you get that, you think, well, I'm going to give all my energy here. That's intelligent. And I'll get the most remuneration. Of course, as you start to give, then, you won't, then the remuneration is the giving itself because it's properly centered and so on and so forth. So Krishna says this, and the same thing applies here in this verse. In other words, there is no better place to give to the center, which is Krishna, for us, than to that manifestation of the center that comes directly to us in such a way that it's that it's that he speaks particularly to our heart and charms us, captivates us. Why this is happening, we don't need to know. <laughs> it's be it's it's not a thinking thing. As I wrote in a recent book we published about Prabhupada's inner life when I first met Prabhupada, then I felt as if a long lost friend had come to connect with me. I was the lost friend. <laughs> and he was doing the finding. He'd come to, come to gather me up. Didn't have to think about that then. Our own prospect coming before us, our own heart's ideal. And for the guru speaks and we think, that's what I thought. Yes, I, that, feels, that feels good to me. I, I like that. that. That fits with me. Yeah, see? It's 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 a confirming of your own inner conscience and and uh, and, uh, and personal integrity and so forth. So this point is to be well understood. And when I first heard Prabhupada say, and so the Guru is the incarnation of Krishna's mercy. This is the the heart of Krishna comes to us in this way, compassion. With the movements of such devotees. Oh, I was shocked at that. This is fair. I'm sitting there with this Krishna's come to me in this way. and It's very powerful. So it creates some regard and causes us to try to pay attention. This is important. Krishna is not coming to me in any other way more prominently than this. And, and, and on my own terms, I mean, in a way that, as I say, resonates with my heart and and human-like in, in all respects. And, and so, so we're to pay close attention there. Therefore, this is trumpeted in the beginning. Sakshadharitena samastashastra kintu prabodhya priyevatasya 
The ambassador of Krishna has come. He's right here. You pay attention. So, the sadhaka will, who does pay close attention then, this is a, this is a loud statement when Prabhupada first announced he was living in the Bowery or thereabouts in, uh, in, in New York, as almost like a homeless person. Then the devotees, some devotees kind of gathered around him and rented a, rented a place and he was giving classes there for some time. And at one point he said, so tomorrow there will be initiations. So uh, the devotees thought, well, wow, that's far out. Well, what does that mean? You know, Swamiji was pretty, pretty cool, and uh, now there's going to be initiation. So somebody volunteered to ask, well, what's that mean? And then Prabhupada said, it means that the guru is to be accepted as, as good as God. And then some people say, I don't know if I'm in for that. That sounds a little over the top. You know. But some people showed up the next morning, and of course they, got, they were his first initiated Disciples, they could digest that. They had enough affection for him to to uh, not be um, put off by the idea, even though they didn't fully understand. And he had been teaching, of course, that, that the guru is not God, I'm not God, all along. And then suddenly to say, it sounded like he contradicted himself. So some explanation is required. But anyway, they had regard for him. And so this kind of statement is made practically, for the reasons that I've explained, and if we understand it, if we contemplate it, then we'll pay close attention. This is important. And then by paying close, close attention and applying ourselves accordingly, focusing our energy there, kind of what is the desire of the Guru? That's in my interest. It's not against my interest, it's for my interest. He has no purpose of his own. Karunayaha Puranakuyam. He's speaking the secret of the Purana, not to get any, not to make a living. He's living on the secret itself and sharing that. Bhakti comes from the root budget, means to, to take and to, and, to, and to give, to share. If you, you share what you have. So he has. He doesn't need anything. So he has then what but to share. The abundance, too much. Mm, this uh, Rupa Goswami wrote a nice verse that, uh, that I've comes to my mind and speaking along these lines. He said, oh, these two syllables, Krishna, there's so much nectar in there that it's a problem for me. Two ears I have, only in one tongue. It's not sufficient to take advantage of all that's the sweetness in these, in these two syllables. Therefore, I wish I had thousands of ears and thousands of tongues, then maybe I could take advantage and do justice. So this is the dilemma of the guru. This is why he or she makes disciples, to get more ears and more tongues to take advantage of all the implications of this this Krishna Nam. He's he's got a problem. He's in in this kind of crisis. He's in crisis mode. (laughs) I need help for this. This This is a huge... I'm drowning here in this. So when we when we pay close attention, then gradually in time, we, we by paying close attention, of course, we start to make progress. We have our own ideas, and we find out what is the, our Guru Dave's ideas, and we may find out what they are from people who are close to him. Also, and it's possible. We should think like that. And bhakti is not what we want to do, but what is wanted of us. It's not our right. No, it's a question of, it's a, it's a gift. So what's wanted of us? We can't fight our way there. So this requires some changing on our part. We have to adjust and so forth. Huh? Our ego has to be put away, that uh, assertive ego and, and, re- and retired so as we, we understand this, we, and, and we could see that in Prabhupada's mission. They used to call him Swamiji, and they were hanging out at the, at the shop, and it was, it was pretty nice and so forth. But then as he came out with the philosophy born, so some people could understand it and go further with it. And when they went further with it, it appeared to create a distance between themselves and him. Suddenly Swamiji, who was doing their laundry for them and cooking for them, they wouldn't dare let him do the laundry for him. 
they would do the laundry of his laundry and they would they would cook and attend to his his needs and, 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 and as they perceived them and so forth and so on he became Prabhupada and it got bigger and there was some distance but those who actually understood in the context of the distance embracing the distance after all there is a distance there's a there's a bridge there's a gap between ourselves and the guru and he seeks to bridge the gap by by his compassionate heart and, and patiently setting an example and explaining to us the significance of the scriptures so as we bridge that gap and as we grow actually spiritually and in spiritual consciousness of course even while there may be, be, be a physical difference, like there wasn't problems, because he had a big mission and there were so many students and so forth, uh, one could still be very close to him, understand his inner life even. Through the teaching and, and following the teaching, you follow. So, so to pay close attention, to learn, hmm? we come out of a sentiment, and that's good, but... Uh, that has to be tempered with wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding. Who is that person? How is Krishna being represented here? It's a big topic. And so as we do, then what happens, interestingly enough, while the first line of the verse creates some distance, as we think about it more and more, the implications of it and so forth, creates some kind of regard, some kind of reverence and so forth. As that's created and we grow through that embracing that understanding, we get another vision that brings us invisibly, for the most part, closer. And much closer than we could have been just by misunderstanding, by by the liking of the guru for his because he's got a nice voice, or he's got a keen intelligence, a good way of talking, or or whatever it may be. Those aren't bad things of this. But he's bearing, carrying, I should say, something else, wisdom, knowledge, that we are to imbibe and understand. And if you take, you know, Prabhupada, for example, I mean, he's, he's beautiful, but uh, to see him as a coward is a whole, whole other affair, too. <laughs> so, where he's dwelling inside, where he's living, to meet him there. If we understand the first impression that guides the disciple as I'm saying that it, that it apparently creates some distance it what it actually does is facilitate intimacy and closeness the likes of which which we could not have otherwise after all that plane of Goloka it's not it's not it's not built on a it's not its foundation is not ignorance the sand there the dust there is is is, is, is enough uh, has enough knowledge to drown the whole world. Once when one of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthitaka's disciples went to England for the first time and came back and said, well, they have a lot of... Uh, I don't know if we have all the answers there to, to answer them. Bhaktisiddhanta said, from the particle of dust from the feet of my guru, Gorkashore, who was illiterate, there's enough knowledge to drown the whole world. So this Goloka, these spiritual sentiments, bhava and prem, there's a foundation of knowledge on which this is, uh, um, arises out of. So as we come to that, imbibe that, understand that, so forth, then there's the possibility of interacting in, with the Guru in a way that otherwise is not possible. We cannot interact that closely with his or her heart. Hmm. So... The first part has to be well understood. Sakshadharitena samasta shastra. Kintu Even even the second line qualifies the first line, as I'm saying. And Prabhupada usually translated it like that. He's as good as God. He's directly God because he's dear to God, as I've said. So if he's dear to God, then if someone's dear to me, you you you, you treat them like you would treat me. In fact, if you treat them like you would dearly, then I'll be endeared to you, right? If you love someone and another person loves that person, you're naturally drawn to that person. Oh, you like my friend. You like my son. Oh, you like my dog. I like you. (laughs) So it works like that. But 
another understanding, of course, then of this second line, and that, that is, is the second impression that I spoke about of guiding this disciple progressively in spiritual life. And that is, kintu praborya priyevatasya. When we take that fully, and the implications of that, we realize that it's saying, there is something else about the guru. Representationally, he's one with God. That's a qualified oneness. But kintu praborya priyevatasya means here he's one in every respect. What does it mean? That priya evatasya, kintu, he says, however, but, kintu prabhorya priyevatasya, he's very dear to God. So this is speaking about the guru's internal relationship as a devotee of the Godhead, of Krishna, with Krishna, which has endeared him to Krishna, the particular sentiment in which he is interacting with Krishna, participating in the Leela with Krishna. And that sentiment, that bhava, that he's one with. Do you understand? He is a, his existence is the personification of that bhava. It has a form that, that it expresses itself in. We call it swarup, siddhadeha. But he's entirely one with that bhava. He, he, he's not in, a, not in a qualified sense, not in a representational sense. And that bhava is one with Krishna. This is a Chintaveda Veda. This is the teaching of Chaitanya Charitamrita and Shijiva Goswami. One and different. It means that the love of Krishna, the preem of Golok, that the, that the inhabitants are all manifestations of, they correspond with Krishna. There's no Krishna without that preem. There's no, there's no meaning to Krishna without that preem. Radha sees Krishna in a particular way. He manifests in a particular way. By the force of the preem of Radha, he shows himself fully. More so than other shades, uh, lesser shades, or, or, or different shades of preem, less intense shades of preem, which are all in, infinitely intense. <laughs> so, he says, as they approach, I reciprocate accordingly. So the love of the devotee corresponds with a particular manifestation of Bhagwan. That's where he lives. That that love is is Swarup Shakti. Even when we take the first verse, now look back at the first line. Sakshad Haritvena. Haritvena. He's of the quality of Hari. What is the quality of Hari? That is Swarup. He has Swarup Shakti. This is the quality under which he, he moves. It is not Maya Shakti, but Swarup Shakti. He's of the Swarup Shakti. It means Guru Parampara is the channel through which the Swarup Shakti comes. The internal Shakti of Bhagavan that, that constitutes the whole uh, interplay of Leela. It's constituted of this. Sambit, Sandini, Ladini. So this is the channel through Guru Parampara, Sakshadharitvena. Haritvena is coming. So in this sense, the Guru is completely one. You understand? Not representationally or in a qualified sense, but fully. As much as the love of Krishna is one with Krishna. He's one with Krishna. You understand? Because he has that preem, love for Krishna. So as a devotee uh, advances by paying attention to the first understanding, the second understanding will gradually start to come. And this will become of interest to him or her. You may find others are lagging behind, not quite, not interested. And they may say, you can't go there. <laughs> Something like that, we heard. Well, we are to go there. This is the, as I said before, our identity is Relational. It's a sambanda. It's a knowledge of ourself in the context of a relationship. So if our relationship with the Guru is eternal, we have to know something about the inner life of, of him as well. This, this all comes to the fore in Bhava Bhakti, in a real and practical sense, in Bhava Bhakti. The stage after Sadhana Bhakti. But if we get any inkling, ink, inkling about that beforehand, all the better. And how will we not 
get an inkling about that. If our guru is possessed of that, how will it contain itself entirely? It's not possible. Prabhupada was thought of as being very expert at containing it, but when we look and see, he could, he could contain it hardly at all, or compared to so many others. You find in Gaudiya Math, they have this you know, symptom, you know, Gurudev said this one time, we could tell from this that he was you know, in, the, in the Gopi Bhav and so forth. We got a whole book about it. Prabhupada's Bhav was so great, so great, so powerful, he couldn't contain it. So if one paid attention, as the first understanding of the first line suggests that we should, God is here. Oh my God, let's pay attention. What could be more important? Close the, you know, take the, you know, close the shop down. God is here. No more problems. <laughs> Everything's, uh, all the problems are solved. With that kind of attention, if we pay, then, then we, can, we can glimpse his inner reality that it has to show itself to, to some extent, but only to the, to the discerning eye who's paying close attention. And so we may not be in bhav, we may not have attained bhav, but we may, we can detect what is, where is the bhav? And, and, and so that's, just, that's the beginning of going there, right? Some interest in that, some attention for that. This is, this becomes a motivating force behind the devotee sadhana and so forth, rather than whatever it may be. You know, we're motivated for doing sadhana for so many different reasons. When this becomes the motivation, it's to be understood that the devotee's understanding is, is being refined. He's seeing the guru representing a particular potency of Bhagavan, a particular sentiment and so forth. And he's adjusting himself or thinking of himself accordingly and so on. So some hint may come. And if that comes, then all the better. And then it's like, like drops of nectar from the waves of ecstasy that he's riding on. We're being sprayed by that. Sprayed by that, we can get some abhas, some shadow of the bhav, that ourself that will carry us so far then. So this second line, understood in this way, speaks about a progressive understanding that in bhava-bhakti will become the dominating factor and guiding influence, the way in which Sri Guru guides us in that realm. When we enter the realm of ecstasy in bhava and we're not yet perfect, then we'll be guided by this. Rather than he's directly God, that may be, will show, be shown and observed externally, always, to one extent or another, but the internal reality will come to bear as well. So, Sakshadharitena samastha shastra uktastatabhavateva The scriptures say it, the sadhus say it, he's directly God. Kintu prabhoya priyayivatasya. However, He's also dear to God. Vande Guruji Charanada Vindam. This is Vishwanachakrita, of course, seventh verse of Guru Vastakam. So with that, I'll, I'll stop.